Hey guys, thanks for checking out another episode of Dirt Tracker Conversations. This time I'm joined by Sprint Car Crew Chief Heath Moyle, who is currently leading the way for Hefner Racing in Pennsylvania and driver Tim Schaefer. Heath was a longtime World of Outlaws crew member working for teams like Casey Kane Racing and Larson Marks, which then became Kyle Larson Racing. He's been a part of some incredible seasons and wins, but things in his life changed dramatically in 2019 when an accident sent him to the ICU and left him wondering about his future. He joins the show to talk about his journey back to the racetrack, fighting through difficult physical therapy, joining Hefner, working with veteran drivers like Schaefer, and more. Heath is a great dude, and I'm so happy to see him back doing what he knows. Enjoy the episode. Heath, the last time we had you on a podcast was when you were on Open Red with me and Ross and we had you and George on. And, and honestly, in the history of Open Red episodes, that's like one of the most listened to episodes. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, no. But that show like was such a great episode. And, and you know, I, I try to keep up with you. I try to keep up with George. George is now in the NASCAR garage, so I see him pretty regularly. But uh, since then, since you, we had you on the show last, a lot of things have happened in your life. And, and I want to kind of run through some of that. But at the time when we had you on the show, you were a, a crew member for Kyle Larson Racing and, and you know, had been on, you know, tour with the Outlaws for quite a few years. Um, and then something happened that kind of changed the whole course of your life uh, effectively. But walk me through your kind of sprint car career, you know, kind of leading up to your accident and, and kind of where you were at the time. So, like, I started, I started racing go-karts back when I was like probably eight or nine. And then at Sealands Grove Speedway, and because they had a go-kart track inside of the Speedway. And at the time, the 358s were a big thing there. And I was standing behind a car one night and um, to get the guy's autograph. And his dad started yelling at me, like, put fuel in this thing. Well, I didn't, I was young, you know, I didn't know whether to cry or put fuel in the car. So I just, I just put fuel in the car. And ever since then, like, they, um, Davey and them kind of took me under their wing. And from there on out, like, I started helping them and racing at the same time. And they started traveling a little bit like 2010 and I thought that was pretty cool. So I uh, went to the Grove one night and just started putting my name in the hat for all the outlaw teams. And uh, Casey Kane racing um, was the first one to have show any interest in me and went there in January 1st of 2011 and was there for probably two and a half, three years, tried to get out of it. And I ended up coming back to PA working for uh, Stevie Smith on when he ran for CJB. And then uh, Scotty called me about working on the two car with Shane and him and Andrew. And I was there until 2018 or 2019 when my accident happened. Uh, and obviously kind of along the way, got to do a lot of really cool stuff and have been in victory lane at some pretty big tracks. Is there a win or a couple of wins that really stand out in your mind? Honestly, you know, we won Kings Royal. We swept that weekend, won Ironman, but I think probably the one that's closest to me, like out of all of them is probably when we won at Williams Grove. It was Shane's first win there. It was my first win at home, more or less around, you know, all my friends and family were there, like you know, home always has a special place in your heart. And so that was probably personally to me, probably the biggest win that, you know, that was satisfying for my family to see it, my friends to see it, you know, just everybody to see it. So, and Shane's first win was kind of cool because it was his and I's both win there together. So, and overall, so that was probably the one that probably I'll hold on to, I would say. 
So walk me through your, your, your accident. And, and obviously this is something that's been, you know, kind of a long time for you to come back from, but, but what happened, what were you doing? Like, walk me through kind of like the, the, the logistics of, of what ended up happening to you. Uh, basically we were trying to get turned around in a parking lot. Um, long story short, we were trying to get turned around in a parking lot and, uh, I was making sure that the guy that was backing the thing up didn't hit another car and he had the trailer jackknifed and, uh, I went down to try and stop him and I thought he seen me and stopped and I went to walk on the other side and motion him forward and he never seen me and crushed me between our trailer and another one that was parked there. So it lacerated my spleen, broke my arm. Um, I still have chip fractures in my upper thoracic and my back. Um, yeah, so it was a long road to recovery. The, the doctor said it should have everything but killed me. They said that they seen way less accidents kill a lot more people. So I'll, somebody was watching me over, over were, me that day. Were you at the racetrack or were you somewhere else? No, we were in a parking lot. It was actually, we were, we just got done racing Hanford and we were on our way to Paris and we were at a hotel parking lot and we were trying to just turn around so we could just be at the exit to go out in the morning. And, uh, it just, it just all happened so fast. But then at the same time, I look back on it, it was all slow motion too. So it just, all around just a bad deal, bad accident, you know, wrong place, wrong time. Um, I really don't know what, you, you know, it, I didn't pass out. I remember like hearing my back. I remember hearing my back break. I remember hearing my arm break and uh, I don't remember much of it, but I, what I do remember of it, it was, it was something I, I, I can't even explain it. How long were you kind of like, I mean, I would imagine you were in the hospital in California for a while then how long before you got to go back home to Pennsylvania? So I was only in the hospital for four days out there. So, um, the ICU out there in LA is absolutely insane. Like they had me in the ICU for four or two and a half days. And the amount of people that go in, you know, that just come in there is, is absolutely insane. And, uh, so it was two and a half days in there. And then they put me, I had to have surgery on my arm. I had to, they had to put a titanium plate in my arm because it broke, it crushed my bone that much. And then I got down to what they call outpatient deal. I was there for two days. And then I rode in the truck and trailer for two weeks till we got back to Texas. And then actually uh, the CJB team was coming back home and I rode with them from Devil's Bowl to Pennsylvania. And that's how I ultimately got home. Were you like trying to work in between that or were you just hanging out or? I was just hanging out, just trying to get through. I mean, I, I it's unfortunately for me, it, you know, I couldn't fly because I had all internal injuries. Um, it was just one of those deals where I was, I was at the mercy of the situation I was put in, you know, whenever we would check into hotel rooms, I'd have to get a handicap room because I couldn't lay down. Um, couldn't sleep, uh, you know, and the pain that they, the pain pills they gave me when I was in the hospital was nothing compared to what they gave me out of the hospital. So, you know, looking back on it and I did some research on it, I did the majority and the worst of my pain and healing in hotel rooms. So it was, it just wasn't a good, it just wasn't a good deal all around. And it was, I was just at the mercy of the situation at the time, but I had to do what I had to do to get home and just make the best out of it. 
When you start trying to come back, is is your hand the the biggest issue that you kind of deal with as as you start working in therapy and stuff? Well, see, not only did it uh, not only did it break my arm, but it popped the tendon in my hand. So my thumb, like this thumb right here was a thumb it was. So basically at first my thumb would only do this. Like I couldn't pull it out. And I didn't find that out till I got home. And they had me in a brace for three weeks, hoping that it would grow, you know, something in there would help it, but it never did. So what they did is I had to go to, uh, they did a tendon transfer, which I didn't know this, but there's, uh, in your hand, there's only two fingers that have two tendons and that's your pinky and your pointer finger. So they, they say God gives you a donor tendon. So they did a whole bob and weave move from my tendon to my, uh, from my index finger to my thumb. So at first, every time that I would move my index finger, my thumb would move. So because my brain's thinking that it's moving my index finger. So I literally, after that surgery, I had to retrain my whole, my left hand, how to work again. And you don't realize how much you use your left hand or you don't have it if you're right-handed or vice versa. So that was, that was honestly my biggest worry was I wasn't going to have full function of my hand again. Cause like if I would go to grab a can of soda or go to grab anything, I literally had to like put it in my thumb for me to grab it. So that was the biggest concern. I mean, I'm going to have pain the rest of my life, but it's manageable. You know what I mean? Like you have to get through it. Somebody who makes or has made a living working on sprint cars, and obviously you need your hands quite a bit. Where was racing at for you through all of this? Were you thinking like, I'm just going to work my butt off so I can get back? Or like, you know, what was your kind of mentality through all of it? Honestly, my mentality was I have to get healthy before I can do anything. Um, I have to get back to being healthy, being able to do things again. And I have to figure it out from there because it was going to change my life one way or another. Because at one point I was like, man, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to do this again. But if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to do anything again, mechanically wise, um, I'm going to have to get healthy. I'm going to have to get my hand back. And honestly, Tony Stewart probably gave me the best advice through the whole thing, because when he broke his leg in Oskaloosa, you know, he had to go through some therapy. And I seen him at Grandview when uh, when he was racing here for Speed Week. And he said, the only person that's going to limit how much that moves is you. The more you work, the more you're going to have function in it. And I took that and ran with it. And that's kind of the mentality that I had to go with is the only person that's going to limit me is me to when I get back to what I do. And, you know, all things considering, you know, I still have probably end up with arthritis in my back. I still have chip fractures in my back, but, um, you know, you just got to make do with what you got. And unfortunately pills, Tylenol has become like my best friend, unfortunately, but that's how I make it through my days. And continue to go. So it's just one of those deals. Don't limit yourself. What was your first trip back to the racetrack? So honestly, um, uh, when the outlaws came to town in May, I think it would have been, would have been my first trip back. And then, you know, I've been from PA. I had a lot of friends there. You know, I was friends with Brian Smith, Lucas Wolf, you know, all those guys. So, you know, those guys let me hang out, kind of got me back into it a little bit. Um, you know, I, this is the first time I did PA Speed Week and I didn't even have to do anything. So it was at the same time, it was kind of relief. But at the same time, it, like you want to hop in and do things, especially if that's what you've done for what, 10, 9, 10 years now that I've been doing this. So it's it just kept me interested, I guess. Me going to races probably kept me interested more than anything.
when did you kind of finally start to think that like, okay, I'm going to get past this and, and now I want to get back in? When I started feeling better, like I had to do probably all together, it was probably 12 to 13 months of therapy. And uh, when I started feeling better um, and started doing, you know, I had to do physical therapy three times a week for probably eight months. And at first I'm like, God, this is ridiculous. But, you know, um, once I started feeling better and I was around it more, I'm like, all right, yeah, I, I want to get back into this because in my eyes, I can't let it in like that. Like I want to, if I'm going to go out, I'm going to go out on my own terms, not because somebody, some accident or somebody tells me I can't. So that's kind of what made me stay interested and come back ultimately. When you finally do come back, was the Hefner deal your first real kind of opportunity to kind of be a paid hand again? No, honestly, that was what kind of surprised me about the whole thing. Like my whole time I was hurt, I was getting calls about people want me to come work for them. And I'm like, I, I can't promise you anything um, because I, I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it again. And that was that was kind of rewarding because that kind of showed me that, you know, people did pay attention and that people, you know, did see I want to do this because um, that's hard to find these days. People that want to do it, you know, without complaining or just the work, because I think most people get into this deal and re don't realize how much work it actually is until they get into it and they're like, okay, like this is a little, not what I expected. So Mike wasn't the first one to get a hold of me, but I would say he was probably the one that stayed in touch the most, just seeing how I was doing and just going on. And then when I got the green light um, to go back to work, I made a few phone calls and he was the one that got back to me and we talked and uh, ultimately we came to an agreement and I just kind of ran with it because it was closer to home. It was racing around home. Um, I think, I don't think my body could physically do the world of outlaw tour anymore just because of how demanding it is. And, you know, with my back and, you know, some days I get up and I'm sore and I just have to take it easy, which out there, there's no time for that. So, um, it, it just kind of worked out. I'm curious, you like when you work for, for the, the various outlaw teams, you'd had kind of different roles and, and different mechanic spots. And I, I know kind of towards the end there with Shane, you were basically the crew chief on the car. I don't know that we were actually, we're like, I don't know if you were actually officially called the crew chief, but on the Hefner deal now, you, you are the crew chief. That's, that's your job. And, and, you know, was that something you were excited about to then finally be kind of the guy on a team? Honestly, no, <laughs> it was it, um, for all those years. I'm like, man, I don't want to do that. But it was one of those deals when I got hurt. I'm like, you know what? I about didn't have the opportunity. Let's go see what happens. And that was my mentality on it too, through all that was, you know, let's, let's just see what happens. You know, I got to know, you know, I can't go all my life being scared. And I think that that accident ultimately pushed me into this role. And, you know, we, it's just hard. It's just working hard and, you know, just being committed to it, honestly, not giving up and always trying to get better. And like with now with us being in a rut, like you can't just give up. So it all kind of worked out. Um, but to be in this position was kind of out of my comfort zone, if I'm being honest. Um, and I really don't know if I was labeled the crew chief at Shane's or not. I don't know, but, <laughs> or at LMR, but you know, Shane and I had a good run and I, and I learned a lot from Shane and even working, you know, back last year when Darren came to run for Hef for Mike, Mike Hefner, um, you know, he asked me if I was okay with Kale coming with, and I'm like, 
yeah, bring them on because that's just more experience for me. And Kale and Darren have definitely have a decorated career together. So, um, yeah, I mean, I just take all the knowledge and I can. It, it kind of walk me through 2020 as a season. Like when you come in, you've got Ryan as the driver, then Ryan departs and, and Shane got in the car for a little bit. And then Darren comes in kind of towards the end of the year. But what's that like from your perspective as like, as you kind of have some of this turmoil as, as that year kind of plays out? I think it's just, I think honestly, in my mind, it was just everyone trying to find a balance. You know, I don't know. Ryan and I had five races together. Um, we did okay. I didn't say we did great. And then, you know, they, Mike and him kind of split ways. Um, I wasn't there long enough to know the full details. Um, but, and then, you know, we wanted to race the bigger races. So, you know, I knew Shane was going to be available. So we went in there and um, we called it the weekend from hell. I think that's actually how he signed his autographs that week. We crashed and we crashed everything in the trailer that I had built up to that point. And then actually that Monday, the Monday I was watching all this stuff, Mike's like, hey, do you think we can be ready for Eldora? And I just looked at him like, what in your right mind thinks we should go to Eldora right now? And I'm like, if you need it to be done, I'll get us there. Okay, I'll call you back. So I'm sitting there thinking like, oh, I don't even know what's going on at this point. He called me back about an hour later and said, hey, get a car ready. And uh, we're going to go out and with Darren. And because I didn't know Darren was coming on board and, and that whole Roth thing happened. Like I was kind of in the outs on that because I was still looking at all the turmoil. So, you know, I'm looking around, I'm thinking, all right, well, I got to go because now you're just wasting my time. You know what I mean? Like I got to get this thing washed. I got to get it apart, get a trailer restocked. And it, I think it was, you know, it was just everyone trying to find what to do. And at the right, and at the time it seemed like everything, you know, just kind of lined up with Darren coming in and then we go out there. I mean, let's face it. We were, Kale and I didn't even know what to do in a work area anymore because we were in the work area more than we were on the track, but it, it was, uh, it was an experience to say the least. I mean, being on the outlaw tour, you're used to things always changing. So I kind of felt at home a little bit, but not really. So it was just one of those things that you just deal with it as it comes. Have there been guys through this, like as you kind of gotten started as, as you know, in this kind of first opportunity to be a crew chief that you've kind of relied on for advice or if you have questions, are there people you're calling? Uh, honestly, Scotty, Martin and I, you know, we still talk a lot. Like I think Scotty and I talk at least once or twice a week. Um, you know, I still talk to Lee Stoffer. You know, I had a lot of good guys in my career. If I can say anything about the guys that I've worked with from the time I've started, I've been with a, a pretty good group of guys. You know, Barry Jackson, Lee Stoffer. You know, at one point, Paul Silva and Lee Stoffer were, you know, kind of in my corner because, you know, they were – when we worked at KLR together, Paul was a general manager and Lee was a crew chief. So, you know, I've been – I can pretty much – call most of those guys and, you know, just pick their brains a little bit and be like, Hey, this is what I got going on. What do you think? And the honestly, most of the time they don't have an issue with uh, helping me. So I rely just on more than one person. Uh, this season with Tim Schaefer, I, I know right now you're not super stoked on, on the performances and stuff, but you guys have had some great runs, a couple of Lincoln wins, some other wins throughout the season. Uh, it feels a little bit almost like Schaefer has been rejuvenated a little bit, uh, teaming up with you guys and, and Hefner. Uh, but walk me through the season up to this point and, and how are you feeling about things? Um, so when we first, we came out of the gate swinging, I think is kind of, I think we kind of got spoiled a little bit to be honest, because we, you know, we went down to Florida, our first race together, we ended up 
what, six, I think, with the All-Stars. For a team that's just starting off and just trying to figure each other out, that was really good. Um, and then we go to Florida or, yeah, sorry, go to East Bay or Volusia. I, we would have been so many racetracks. And, uh, <laughs> and we kind of had some engine issues, some gremlins going on, and we kind of struggled that week. But we got it, you know, figured out ultimately, go back down to East Bay and, you know, ran second one night, first the next night, and then uh, go to – Southern Speedway with the USCS and when the first night runs second. So, you know, that was there, you know, people kind of get on us a little bit about 360 cherry picking, whatever you want to call it. But ultimately it's not about that because at that, that time, the more track time that Tim and I had together was the more we were learning each other. And that's the way we look at it. Because I told Mike, I said, if we have a 305 and we can go race, like I'm going to take Tim and do it because ultimately right now it's us learning each other. Cause we're, even when we come back here to PA, it's, uh, you're racing against guys that have been together for years. Um, Freddie Raymer, Danny and his guys like, and Chase Dietz, you know, with Trone, they haven't been together very long, but they're very good. And to come back and, you know, have two wins at Lincoln, go from 14th to fourth, you know, to Williams Grove on a track that not a lot of people could pass. Like I felt like we had a pretty good, a pretty good balance. And then all of a sudden we wrecked a car at Lincoln the one night. And ever since then, we've kind of struggled a little bit. So we've had ups and downs already. But like I said, I think we got more spoiled at the beginning of the season because we were we came out of the gate swinging so hard. What was your relationship like with Tim before this? Like, did you know him well? Um, no, I mean, it was one of those deals where, you know, when they followed the outlaw tour, him and Cody and Rick on the 40 with the 49 X, like we'd run into each other, you know, but and Cody and I probably talked more than Tim did. And to be honest, you know, I was so locked in on our car most of the time. I never really, I don't really pay attention to really most of any cars. And I knew Tim Schaefer, I knew he was a gasser, but I didn't know, uh, you know, I didn't know much about him to that point. So it was, and then once you find out that a guy's coming here and then you start doing a little bit more research, the way, you know, what his cars look like and try and find videos of the races he won, where he was good, what his car was like when he was bad. So it, I knew him, but I didn't, you know what I mean? What have you kind of learned about him to this point? You know, what kind of a driver is he? Where does, you know, where does he kind of fit in? Like when, when you kind of compare him to some of the, the you know, like really great drivers that you've gotten to work with in your career, where does he kind of stack up? Uh, he's, he's definitely top three, top four in the drivers that I've worked with. Um, very hands-on, you know, he's done it for, I think he's told me 38 years now and he's been hands-on driver the whole time. So he's very knowledgeable. Um, he's actually helped me a ton too, just, fuel and engines he's really good with fuel and engines and um he how do i want to put it he's he's versatile he's very versatile he's not like a guy that's just gonna you know want to show up and race he wants to be hands-on uh be you know know what's going on be there to know what the car what we got in the car like and i think that's all comes down to we talk a lot about communication and that's kind of where he's that's kind of where i think our strong point is um not so much right now because we have a gremlin somewhere and we can't find it but i think that's why we came out of the gate swinging so hard because you know all the guys that i've raced with you know he was he raced for lee stoffer as well you know and he's been around silva and all those guys so we've been around a lot of the same people and had a lot of the same thoughts on a lot of things but ultimately he's a versatile guy where are you at like kind of package wise? Like, have you had to make big differences to what you guys already were running in terms of, you know, chassis engine shocks, things like that, or has it been pretty close to what you were running already? Um, 
I was, I'm that guy that's not going to come in and be like, we need to do this, this, and this. Like I told Mike, like you obviously had Greg Hodden in your car for five years and were very successful. You had Darren Pittman in your car before that and were very successful. So what you have here, we can make work. And it's one of those things like, let's see what we got. And then we'll go from there. You know, Darren, you know, it's, and it, it's between Darren and Tim, it was kind of small things. It was, you're talking things like master cylinders and, you know, different kind of brakes and just different wing, just driver preference more or less. But I'm not, I don't see the point in changing a lot of stuff or spending a lot of money right away until you know what you got. Cause what you got might be fine or you might have to make a change, you know, just to get better. But, um, so we pretty much stayed the same through everything. Where, where is Tim at on this? Is like, you know, I, I feel like you, you hear about some guys that are like, they have a very specific package. Like, you know, they like a specific chassis, a specific wing. Like, is he that type of guy or is he more open to like, okay, well let's see what you got and see how it runs. He's way more, he's way open. Like, um, I think one of the things that I really like about Tim is he can just, he's like, if you got an idea, let's try it. He's like, I'm not against it. He's like, cause every time we try something, we're learning. And, you know, for me right now, at this point in my career, I feel as early, you know, in my early so-called crew, crew chief career, you know, I have to learn all I can. And with a guy like him that can give you good feedback good, and has a good feel for the car, um, it's my chance to learn. It's our chance to get better and learn together and communicate. And that's all, that's what we have to do. And that's what we have to do right now as well. Um, you know, we just, we're just in a, like I said, we're in a rut and, uh, we just have to figure out why and, and we're trying stuff. I mean, it's, it's not always going to work. Obviously last night we were a C main thriller. Um, but you know, that we learned through that C main every chance we hit the track, we're always learning. So he's not against anything at, you know, struggling or not struggling because we're always learning. The central Pennsylvania season so far this year, it seems like it's been like super tight, super competitive. We've seen a ton of different winners, like, do you see a reason for that? Is it just like everybody's just kind of even right now? Like when you kind of look around, like what is the reason for why we've seen so many different winners? Honestly, I think with the way the tires are right now, I don't know, in my personal opinion, I think it's on who struggles less that night. Um, I just, you know, obviously some of these cars that haven't been, you know, very competitive while are competitive again. I mean let's face it. Um, you know, that, you know, John Trone's car, Chase Deeds and them have been nothing short of fast at, um, Lincoln, same thing with Danny, like the competitive is just so stiff, but I think also too, like everyone's stuck in a box right now. Like it's getting to be where everyone has the same thing. And, um, all, I mean, a few things change here and there, but I honestly think that's why your competition's so stiff anywhere anymore because everyone pretty much has the same thing if you want to build a sprint car you go get Kading magazine or motor start motor state magazine or and you just order the parts out of it like it's like i almost feel like almost like the innovations out of it a little bit but um yeah i mean it, it's tough nowadays and that's all who struggles less especially with the tire package we have it's it's who's got what and are you going to unload fast and that's just the way it is. I mean, we look at Lincoln. I mean, we were fortunate enough to be the only repeat winner there, but every other night it's, it's strong. It's competitive. It's, it's kind of crazy really to think about. When you compare your time as a what about loss crew member to now, 
And I, obviously, you know, it, we've talked before about how difficult it is to be a World of Outlaws crew member and going to all these different tracks all the time. What are the unique challenges of being a crew member, you know, a crew chief, like in an, a specific area? Like you're going to run the same couple of tracks each week. What are the specific challenges you have just kind of running one area? Well, I think the, the ch- I don't know if it's a challenge, but you can focus more on your package for a certain number of tracks. Um, like you can focus more on a package. You know, you're going to Williams Grove every Friday or you're going to Lincoln every Saturday. So it kind of hurts you not traveling, but at the same time, like you're racing at the same tracks all the time where you can have a package and a good notebook to go there to where that's why the outlaws are the outlaws. Because I mean, it showed last night. I mean, guys that race all over the country and race all the time and race hard are just, just as fast um, as, you know, guys that race there every week and ultimately Brad ended up, you know, winning, but you know, it's, it's just a weird, it's just, it's a challenge in the fact of like, how good are you? Like you can be, you know, like we can have a specific package and think, yeah, we're badass. And then the outlaws come into town and they're like, okay, well maybe we're not as good as what we thought we were. You know what I mean? Like, um, so that, that's more of the challenge than anything I think is like knowing how good you actually are, you know, once, um, like the, the competition here is stout, but then I feel like when the outlaws come to town, they really kind of, they put things into perspective for everybody. I think when you run like Lincoln, for example, like on a, on a weekly basis, how much does it change from week to week? Like, and obviously weather and some of those things are, are going to be different every time you go out there, but in terms of like the track and, and your setup, is it changing a lot from week to week or do you kind of run the same basic stuff? Uh, no, actually that's what kind of surprised me about the place. Um, when we go there, you know, um, it's, it's different every week. Like I felt last night was a, was a really good surface. You know, they did a great job at the track prep last night and last week I felt like it was a little bit dirty. It was kind of one lane-ish. So it's, it's different every week. And, you know, you go back to the challenge thing, that's been the most challenging part because it's not like you can have a specific setup. Yeah. You can have a balance, but ultimately the, it's kind of thrown your curveball a little bit, at least from my perspective and the way I see it. Uh, what are you guys going to do for the rest of the season? Is it, is it, you know, are, are we running for track championships? Are you guys going to get out and travel a little bit? Like what's your schedule? Well, right now I told Mike, I said, I don't feel like we need to go anywhere as bad as we are right now. But once we get our balance going, we're kind of, once we figure out which way we want to go again, um, we're going to kind of travel a little bit and run PA. I mean, uh, I know Tim's, Tim likes to run those uh, tracks out there by him, like Sharon and, and what's the other, tri-city i think mm-hmm. um i've never been to tri-city but um we're just kind of going to bounce around i mean that's a, that's kind of the cool thing about this deal is we're not committed to anything um we, we if we want to go and travel one week we'll go and travel and if we want to go and stay here and we'll just stay here so it's kind of cool to kind of just have that open that like that open book kind of thing and just go and have some fun every now and then, you know what I mean? Instead of being locked down to, well, now we're going to go here this week and there that week. So we're going to b- bounce around a little bit. Uh, with all that you've kind of been through in the last, whatever year, two years, uh, how, how is your perspective? Do you, do you look at things differently? Do you approach things differently after, after what you've gone through? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you gotta, you gotta approach things, you know, just a lot simpler. Not like I'm going to be flat out. I used to be kind of a hothead which I think that kind of tamed me down a little bit to where like, you just, you got to look at things in a, 
it, things are going to work out how they're supposed to, and just, just approach it as a new night. And, you know, that's a good thing about our sport too. And in life, tomorrow's a new day, you know, don't, don't dwell on what happened. Think about it, but don't dwell on it and just get better. And just being a better person and just, you know, treating people better, I guess would be the, the way I would put it and not get, not get so worked up sometimes about the small things because it all works out on the end. Like it's supposed to. Are, are you having fun? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not very fun right now, but you know, <laughs> we, we still have a good time. You have to make the best out of it. And honestly, like, you know, you hear a lot of people say like, yeah, when winning, everything's easy, but it's whenever you're struggling and you're in a rut and you don't know why you're in a rut and you can't start yelling at each other. You have to just get through it together because that's when your teams are defined ultimately what they're going to be. Well, I appreciate the time today. I know you have car washing and all sorts of prep work to do uh, after a, a busy night at Lincoln last night. So I will let you go, but uh, good luck with everything going forward. And it was uh, good to talk to you again, dude. Yeah, buddy. Thanks for having me. I talked to Heath in between the Lincoln and Williams Grove shows for the World of Outlaws, so I appreciate him taking some time to chat with me during a busy race week. You can watch Heath and Tim all season long with the Hefner Racing number 72 racing in Pennsylvania and beyond. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit DirtTracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok.